Hey guys, welcome back. I hope that you had a great Halloween. Uh, we had a lot of cool things that we saw while we were walking around doing our trick-or-treating. For anybody who wants to know, Abigail was a mermaid, the little mermaid, Ariel, and Oren was Kylo Ren. Um, you know, he's, of course he's gotta be the bad guy. But anyways, they had a good time. So, uh, if you went through and listened to the congestive heart failure talk, uh, let me know if you have any questions. I know, again, there was a lot of information that was in there. That's why it takes me so long to go to school versus me trying to, to summarize it in about an hour. So if you have questions, just please come ask me, email me. Like I'm happy to try to walk you through something that I maybe just didn't explain well enough in there. So today I'm going to talk about oxygen toxicity. We've talked before about water toxicity and now we're going to be talking about how oxygen can actually be toxic to us or the pets as well. But you didn't know that, huh? So the premise behind oxygen toxicity, now think about all the pets that we put into oxygen. We put them into the oxygen cage, we put them into the little pop-up tents with oxygen, we put flow-by on them, we put them in a mask that has oxygen, we have a, you know, the ET tube in them that we're putting them on oxygen. Like, how come all of these dogs are not getting oxygen toxicity and all of these cats are not getting oxygen toxicity? Like, why is it that you can get oxygen toxicity when we have so many pets that are on oxygen? And we breathe oxygen too, right? In air, in normal air, the percentage of, of air that is actually oxygen is going to be about 21%. So for anybody who's gone over to the nursing care side, um, a lot of times we'll, you'll see us like push a bunch of buttons on that oxygen cage because we're recalibrating it. And by recalibrating it, what I mean is that we're trying to tell the machine that the amount of air that's in that cage at that moment is at room air or at 21%. So when you push the recalibration button, you have to like kind of push it and hold it. But it'll pop up and it'll say like 20.8% if I remember correctly, but pretty close to 21%. That's essentially what we want it to be at to show that it's at 21% in room air and that we want it to go up. So we're going to want them to be at 40% oxygen or 60% oxygen. So we want more oxygen to be able to get into their body so that they're going to be able to breathe better. If they have more oxygen in their lungs, their red blood cells will pick up that oxygen and it's going to take it to the rest of the body. It's going to take it to their little toe. It's going to take it to the tip of their ear. It's going to take it all over the place, but it needs to have more oxygen for those dogs that can't breathe, especially when we have like congestive heart failure dogs or pneumonia dogs or cats have asthma. We need them to be able to get as much oxygen as possible when they're in a state that they, they physically cannot breathe. So like I said, we want to, Reset, reset that chamber so that, that way it knows what room oxygen is. And then we turn on the actual oxygen. So we actually like increase the percent of, of oxygen that's in that cage. Now, with most dogs and cats, like I said, they don't actually get an oxygen toxicity, right? They actually found that this happened um, when people were being put in the hyperbolic chambers. Uh, if anybody knows about diving, so if you go diving and you go too far down and then you have to go up too quickly, so you, you like basically like shoot up 
um, that happens when you like run out of oxygen, there's something wrong with your oxygen tank, the tubing, things like that, and you go up too quickly, you'll get the bends. And that's where too much nitrogen has built up in the bloodstream and it's very painful. So they put you into this oxygen chamber to like push oxygen into the blood vessels and into the tissues so that that way it will push oxygen or sorry, push nitrogen out and put oxygen back into the tissues. So in those chambers, it's 100% oxygen. And they found, not everybody has this, but they found that some of those people did not do well. They actually were, were going into basically like heart failure or having signs of pneumonia very quickly. And at first they thought this was just because of them having the bends. They're like, well, this is obviously because they had too much nitrogen and they were dying and we just didn't save them fast enough. But then they started like noticing all of the, um, when they were doing like necropsies or autopsies on people, but when they're doing all the autopsies, they started noticing the changes that were occurring in the lungs and were like, hmm, I think that there's something more to this. I think that it might not be just the fact that it's from the nitrogen. So now let's fast forward back over to dogs and cats. So dogs and cats can also get oxygen toxicity if they're put into really high percentages of oxygen for too long. So it used to be that we put them at 40% of oxygen. We almost never touch that. That's the highest you'll go is 40% of oxygen until we get them breathing well enough. And then we would put them back down and try to wean them out of oxygen. So if you do that, some dogs don't handle that well and they need more oxygen. And so we started increasing that oxygen to 60% of oxygen. Like, well, we're only going to do this for a short period of time. This should be okay. And then we'll decrease their oxygen as soon as we can. Some people or some dogs didn't tolerate that either. Unfortunately, some dogs still had a problem with the fact that they were like, we were trying to get them out of oxygen and lower their oxygen too quickly. And they were ended up, ended up being in there for a couple days, two, three days at 60%. So... What happens in oxygen toxicity is that you have 100% oxygen or a very large amount of oxygen. It doesn't have to be 100%, but a very large amount of oxygen. That oxygen can go to the tissue that's, that's lying inside the lungs and cause damage to that. It's called the epithelial tissue, but it's just the tissue inside lining the lungs. And it causes a lot of damage there if you have just too much of it just just inundating that tissue. And then it doesn't look like it's any different from any other patient at first. For the first like 48 hours, they would look exactly the same as if you had another patient who was in there, who or another patient besides them in a different oxygen cage, who was at 40% versus another one that was at 100%. And the reason why is because you just don't see all those really tiny changes. So the histological changes that are happening on a cellular level, you're just seeing what's happening to the dog or cat as a whole. Well, eventually at around that 48 hour time period, that's when you start seeing how bad it actually becomes. So histologically, so on that little tiny cellular level, they're usually going to have a small amount of peribronchi edema. 
So what that means is that there's fluid that builds up around the bronchi. Um, if we remember from before, so we have our, our tree of our lungs. So you have like your trachea is your main windpipe, and then it goes down into your lungs where it branches off into all these big things. So it branches off into your primary bronchi, which are these big tubes, and then it branches off into your secondary bronchi, which are smaller tubes, and then it branches off into the tertiary bronchi, which are even tinier tubes, and then it goes all the way down to this little sac that where all your oxygen is being um, moved from the sac into your lungs, and that's called the alveoli. So those bronchioles, so those tertiary bronchi that I was talking about. They go into teeny tiny little ones and that's where that's where all of this fluid starts to build up because there's so much damage to that little tiny amount of tissue that's in there that it starts creating a lot of fluid in there. Like I said, at first you don't really notice it. Like at first the dog just looks like any other dog that's in oxygen. Not a big deal. And then suddenly that dog starts to have a lot of difficulty breathing. Because now that dog can't get oxygen efficiently down to its alveoli, where that's where it actually has oxygen exchange going on, is at that little sac at the very bottom called the alveoli. So it can't breathe, and we have too much fluid that's around there, so now we can't even get any more, any more red blood cells to go there to pick up oxygen. And they are just, they're just quickly declining. Sometimes they'll start having bleeding into their lungs and they'll create free radicals, which are just these like really bad waste products that go and do bad things to pretty much all of your organs. But one of the bad things it does is it'll go to the brain and it'll cause them to have like neurological things as well. So it causes them to press their head against the wall or um, be really dull or they just look like they're neurologically not there. So all of these things are really quick that it happens. And they've they said they've done studies where they've like taken dogs that they've put them into 100% oxygen and they, they did necropsies on them at certain time intervals. And they found that, you know, histologically they look like they had some minor changes, but looking at the dog, they didn't have any changes in the very beginning. But by that 48 hours, they saw significant changes in the dog's lungs and also in things like the brain tissue. And then by the time they got to, I think it was 96 hours, if I remember correctly, that pretty much all the dogs who had been on 100% oxygen had died from that. So it, it's pretty bad. I mean, so we don't want them to be on 100% oxygen all the time, which is not something that we do in the hospital, but you will hear people talk about oxygen toxicity and making sure that they actually are not going to get oxygen toxicity. Because we don't know at what percentage does this occur. We just know at 100% that it can occur really quickly. But how do we know if maybe at 60% that it happens instead of at 96 hours that they all die? How do we know maybe it doesn't happen at, you know, five days that they all die? Or maybe if we have them at 60% and we don't notice any clinical signs and then suddenly they go into cardiac arrest or they seem like they were doing well and then they weren't doing well, like how do we know that wasn't because of oxygen toxicity? Unfortunately, we don't know that. There's no way to know that because there's no studies that have been done to say like at 60% oxygen, this is the time that you can be at 60% oxygen before you have a problem. 
Or same thing with 40% oxygen, like how long can you be at 40% of oxygen for without having a problem? There's just no way for us to know those things. And we really, really, we only have to worry about this in the dogs that are putting in the oxygen cage. We don't have to worry about this for you know cats and dogs that are giving flow by oxygen to just putting the oxygen in front of their face. Uh, we don't have to worry about this so much in the dogs that are putting a nasal cat like nasal catheters into because they're still getting room air oxygen as well. Um, same thing for when we have them intubated for a procedure, that's a short period of time that we have them on a higher percentage of oxygen. It's not going to be like long periods of time that we have them on there for. If we were to get into ventilation and having dogs on ventilators, then that's a whole other story. We have to like start discussing like how long we have them at certain percentages of oxygen at that point. But we're not at that point where we do ventilator stuff yet. So really like in our dogs that we're using, we are opening and closing that cage a lot. And so the chances of them getting oxygen toxicity is lower because every time we open that cage, the oxygen drops down. But some of the clinical signs you do want to watch for is going to be that they have a sudden weird change, you know, that they were breathing really well before and then suddenly are not breathing really well. And you notice that we've had the oxygen at 60% for four or five days at that point. Or maybe you notice that the dog is becoming just really neurological, whereas it seemed like it was normal yesterday, and now it's like pushing its head against the wall of the oxygen cage. That's a weird thing. That that worries me then that it potentially had an oxygen toxicity. And it's not an easy thing for us to fix either. It's not just like kind of pulling them out because at the same time, if they're not ready to be pulled out of oxygen because they can't breathe well, then I have to somehow decrease the oxygen, but also get more oxygen down to its vessels and to its alveoli, which is um, a really hard task to do. And, and then at that point, sometimes we have to worry about putting them on a ventilator. But if you see those things, you know, bring it up. If you notice the fact that the oxygen cage has been at 60% for days, ask us to be like, can we decrease this? Can we start weaning them out of oxygen? Because um, we do want to do those things as soon as possible. Again, we don't know like how many days this is going to be before they actually get oxygen toxicity. And the chances of them getting it in most of our patients is rare. We don't have it very often as far as we know. I'll definitely tell you there are good patients that I've wondered about because they had been doing well and then suddenly took a turn at around 48 hours. And so I kind of wonder sometimes if they did end up having oxygen toxicity. But again, like let's look for those signs, ask if it's it's okay to like start weaning them out of oxygen. Like don't be afraid to ask those things. All right, I'm going to tell you my story now. I'm leaving this as real quick as a short one because I was so long on my last one and I'm so sorry. Like I said, it's just a lot. It's a lot to CHF. Um, so story time. So I was telling somebody else about this. I was telling Jenny about this, but when I was little, my dad had, uh, 14 snakes that just ran around the house. They just like slithered around the house. There's like pictures of them inside the, um, the bathroom, just like hanging from the bathroom. And I believe if I remember correctly, I think that they were all like the constrictor type snakes if i remember correctly and i don't remember any like i don't actually remember the snakes i just remember the story of this um, but if i remember correctly with the story i believe they were all constrictors like boa constrictor type snakes but he had tons of them and huge ones at that too 
And my mom was in the kitchen and I was in the living room and I was less than two years old at this point. And she said she just heard me stop playing. She just didn't hear me. And she was like, that's weird. Um, he's usually kind of noisy. And so she went over from the kitchen into the living room where I was. And there I was blue because one of the boa constrictors had wrapped around me and was attempting to eat me, basically. Like it was trying to, to kill me so that it could eat me. And it was a huge one too. And my mom freaked out, obviously. And luckily my dad was in the backyard mowing the lawn. So she grabbed him and they came inside and like got the boa constrictor off of me. And, um, I don't know if they took me to the hospital. I, sh I should have asked that, but, uh, but they got the boa constrictor off of me. I was okay. And my mom said, absolutely no more snakes ever again. And he was never allowed to get a snake again until I was in high school. So I think I was 16. I think I was driving by that time. And my dad got this like albino boa constrictor. It, it was a pretty snake, but I, and I like had so many crazy weird animals growing up. Like I had um, kangaroo rats and I had all the different kinds of lizards. I had iguanas. I had uh, pretty much anything that I thought that needed to be saved. I had a bunch of things like squirrels, chipmunks, like t tons of weird animals that I would just like save and then re-release or, or keep until, you know, until they passed away. But for some reason, I was really terrified of this snake, this albino python that he had. And I had no idea why, because I, I had no clue this happened to me when I was little. Like I, nobody ever told me this story. So I had no clue that this happened. And just like, I was just terrified of this thing. And I, again, like I, did, I had no idea why. I didn't know why I was so afraid of this snake. So I told my mom about it one day and I was like, I just like, I'm freaked out that that thing is going to get out of its cage. And I don't know why, but I feel like it's going to come slither up the stairs. They, they don't want to go up the stairs if they don't have to, but I just, this thing is going to slither up the stairs, somehow get into my room. And so I close my room, my door all the time and it's going to strangle me. I was like, I don't know why I have this irrational fear of this. Uh, my mom my mom is like, well, that's probably because you were strangled as a baby. I was like, what are you talking about? It's <laughs> like, who strangled me as a baby? She's like, the snake. So she told me this whole story about the 14 snakes and the snake that tried to kill me in the living room and how snakes were banned from the house after that. And this was the first time he had had a snake since, since, uh, you know, I was a baby. And I was like, well, that explains a lot. So. I have since like mostly gotten over my fear, like at, in a vet school, I had to go into a giant enclosure, not a giant enclosure, a sm small enclosure with an anaconda, a freaking anaconda. Who, who in their right mind walks into an enclosure with an anaconda? No, no. I thought I was going to die. But I was like, I have to do this because it's for my vet school grade. And if I do not do it, I will fail vet school. So I went in and they're like, oh, she's so nice. I'm like, no, this thing is going to kill me. But I went into it to her enclosure 
and I threw her giant rabbit that I thought was pretty much like half the size of me into her enclosure and um, watched her like strike at it and grab it and again just terrifying but then um, they had me go in after she had been done eating and go like you know pet the snake this anaconda and it, it was fine I didn't die obviously but it was terrifying and I've had other encounters where I've had uh, it, as a technician my doctor at the time she would see random crazy things like I had to x-ray a deer once and then this somebody else had brought in their rattlesnake and she was like, well, you're going to have to x-ray this rattlesnake. I'm like, how do you x-ray a rattlesnake? Like, you are crazy. And so I figured out to just, it was in a pouch. Like, he had already brought it in, in a, like a, uh, one of those, like a pillow cloth, like a, sorry, a pillow cover. And so I just took the pillow cover and just put it on the x-ray table. And the snake was all wrapped up in, in the pillow cover already. So it was like wrapped in a ball. And then I just took an x-ray of it that way. It was great. Worked out fantastic. All they wanted to know is if they had eggs. So we found out they had eggs. And then we've had like other, when we go to like the reptile shows and stuff, like I'll still like hold the snakes and um, I will go interact with the snakes just to like make it so that I'm not so fearful of these of these snakes. But isn't that crazy? You just like go your whole life and like I have no problem with any animals. And suddenly I learned that I like, was that my dad's pet snake attempted to kill me anyways so just a fun story for you guys and um like i said I'm, uh, if you have any questions on the chf let me know if you have any questions about this oxygen toxicity let me know all right thank you guys i appreciate you